Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach. Always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email from a woman that said, hey, Carol, the coach, I'm a partner and I am so tired of being pathologized for loving an addict who's in recovery. Please advise, what can I tell people when they give me that look or they seem to put me down? Well, this is the show for you because we're going to be talking about a revolutionary new word, a new movement in the addiction community, and it's called pro-dependence. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it is the word that suggests that partners and other people who love addicts, whether they be drug or alcohol addicts, or maybe even somebody who is caretaking someone with significant mental health issues, you know, bipolar depression, schizophrenia. Well, you are not codependent. You are not a co-addict. You are not crazy. You love somebody and want to help in the best way possible. You're pro-dependent. And I have got a, a specialist on, Dr. Kim Buck, who is developing a community with Dr. Rob Weiss, who wrote the book, Pro-Dependence, Moving Beyond Codependency. And the three of us are going to be talking about how does this apply to sex addicts and their partners? You know me, and you know that I have advocated for about 10 years for partners who decided that they wanted to stay with the addict. They did not want to necessarily move out of their homes. They didn't want to move their kids. They didn't want to split their finances. They wanted to help the addict 
and live the most comfortable life possible. And that can be very, 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 very difficult if you have an addiction. And yet, this is their choice. And it doesn't mean they're sick. It doesn't mean they attracted this person into their life because they have unresolved issues. Now, what I know to be true is that in the mental health field, especially in family and marriage um, seminars, trainings, curriculums, there is a, a specific mindset that says, hey, if you have unresolved childhood issues, you are going to more than likely marry somebody whom has significant issues that you need to deal with because then you'll be working out your family of origin issues. Now, I agree with the fact that many of us married our mothers or our fathers. And perhaps we did that because, and I'm speaking for myself here, because we really did need to work that stuff out. But what I know to be true is that somehow in working in addiction and in working with mental health, we have actually pathologized the family members that help, the partners that help, the loved ones that help somebody who has a major mental health issue and or addiction. And I always felt bad about that. You know, I, I did kind of believe that, hey, we do attract people into our life to work out our issues. I don't know why, but that's what I was taught, and I really did believe that. But after I started working with sex addicts, and when I started working with partners, I said, wait a minute. Sex addicts are incredibly um, astute at deceiving their loved ones. They duped them. I mean, most partners had no idea what was going on in their life until the day of discovery. And you know the day of discovery is when they discovered that the addict was cheating on them, whether they were looking at porn or whether they were going to massage parlors or prostitution. And I just didn't accept that standard um, theology about partners. I said, hey, this is not the philosophy I buy into. Partners got duped. They got deceived. Addicts are great liars and certainly sex addicts who create relational pain and trauma, everything they could to keep the partner from knowing what's going on. So when I heard about this pro-dependent movement, Wow, I was really excited because it fit right into the genre of what I teach through APSATS. That is the Association of Partner Sensitive Trauma Specialists. And we really believe that partners need to be honored for what they're willing to do, whether that is to leave the addict or whether that is to stay. They have the right to make those decisions themselves. And then when I read my colleague, Dr. Rob Weiss's book, Prodependence, Moving Beyond Codependency, I went, oh, wow, he's talking about addiction and mental health in general. 
But what I love about it is that it absolutely applies to the partners I work with. You know, and what Rob says is that the mental health field went askew. It may not have meant to start out with pathologizing family members who help addicts, but we've certainly gotten to that point. And so we need to reverse that. We need to advocate for loved ones, uh, mental health, um, mental illness, loved ones who care for drug and alcohol addicts, sex addicts, gambling addicts. We need to give them a hands up and not put them down. We need to treat them with compassion. And I'm all about that. And so tonight, I am going to be interviewing Dr. Kim Buck, who has developed this workbook that will change the way you think about and look at partners. I mean, it's an amazing opportunity to hear about how the world is changing and the new language that we're using in the field of addiction. You know, does it mean the people that wrote about codependency, some of the gurus in the field, were they wrong? Not necessarily. Let's just say we've grown beyond that and that we have to credit our forefathers and mothers for the work that they did, and we love that, and, and hey, we're better for it. But now it's time to take this uh, venture to a different place, and that's what we're doing tonight. Hi, I am Carol Jurgensen Sheets, a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and I am so happy to be with you. And here's why. I've made up my life to educate sex addicts and their partners as to how they can get healthy. I have just written, and it is in publishing right now, a book for sex addicts on how to develop empathy with their partners. I have over 100 YouTube videos for partner and addicts so that they can get healthy and and learn skills that I believe will really make a difference in their life. I'm a certified sexual addictions therapist through ITAP, and then I am on the board of APSAT. That's the partner organization that provides partner-sensitive treatment to partners, to addicts, and to the coupleship. And I present worldwide um, workshops that help couples to get healthy, to develop empathy, and those basic early couples recovery skills that will keep you together while you're figuring out, is the addict in good recovery? You see, one of the things that I believe is that when an addict gets sober, they need to be, they need to be abstinent for at least three to six months, and then if they're in relationship with somebody else, the partner needs to absolutely be given the truth. Now, again, the old school of thinking, sometimes this comes from 12-step groups, sometimes this comes from counselors, they go, oh, my gosh, there is no reason to have the partner and the addict go through a process called a disclosure where she learns, or he, depending on who is the partner, where they learn the truth. That's hurtful, that bad images in their brain, just let it go and let the partner do it, um, excuse me, let the addict do his work. 
or homework. Well, this is a new world. And what we really believe is that, you know, if you love a sex addict, you deserve to know the truth so you know what you're dealing with. Because if you don't know, you don't know. And that process, which is called a formal disclosure, is instrumental in helping the partner know the truth. The incredible secondary gain of that is that the addict gets to get rid of every conceivable possible secret. And if a disclosure is done in a formalized way, in a way that honors both people and keeps them safe, it is by far the healthiest thing a couple can do to reestablish trust. Now, here's the scary part. The scary part is that it's followed by a polygraph. And the polygraph is scary only in that who the heck wants to go through a polygraph? Nobody. But I'm telling you, when we set that up with a skilled polygrapher, who understands sexual addiction and is willing to polygraph the addict, meet with the wife. The wife was able to write the questions with the help of a skilled therapist, a.k.a. me. Uh, Usually they get about five questions. They're yes-no questions, and they're about the facts. And when that – and then the addict is given the questions ahead of time so he or she knows – what they are, and knows what they need to do to get honest. The process really starts the coupleship back on a road of honesty. And I don't know about you, but I want to be able to trust the man or the woman that I love. I want to be able to trust that I'm getting the straight scoop. And I want to be able to trust my own physical, emotional, spiritual um, integrity to the person that I love. And that's what this process starts. And it has to be done by someone who's skilled, someone who's trained. And so I don't advocate this process for somebody who is not trained. If you need more information, you can, you can contact me at carol at carolcoach.com, and I will get you to the right people. You can always go to apsats.org. That's A-P-S-A-T-S dot org and find out people in your area that have been trained in this official process. And there are other organizations that are training too, and they're actually revamping their curriculum so that um, they can provide this same kind of service that's partner-sensitive, and that would be ICAP, the people that certify sexual addiction therapists. So, okay, we're watching our community, our therapeutic community change. And that is an amazing experience to be able to watch professionals who have always wanted to do the next right thing and um, to watch the incredible work that is done when professionals have the right tools and are able to make partners feel safe and addicts feel like they can share the truth without repercussion and start their life over. So I am so excited today to be 
you know, interviewing Dr. Buck, who's going to be talking about the community. Um, and that's always a great thing when we can all get together and to collaborate on what is in the best interest of our community. You know, we're a work in progress. This is a new field, and that's why I always say we're all pioneers in this. So let's make it happen. Let's make field of sexual addiction and partner betrayal. Let's make it safe. Let's make it work. And let's stop pathologizing either one. That's what counts. All right. Well, I am so excited to have on Dr. Buck, who has made it her mission to help partners to feel safe. So, Dr. Buck, welcome to the Sex Help with Carol the Coach Show. Hi, Carol. Nice to be with you tonight. Absolutely. Now, and just a, a correction, bit. I'm not a doctor. I'm sorry. Just a correction. I'm not a doctor yet. Just in my PhD program. Oh God, <clears throat> you're in the midst of that. I am. All right. Well, so tell us a little bit about this um, new word, prodependence, and and what it means to you and to our community at large for sex addicts and partners. Well, I am, first, I'm so happy to be here. And second, to talk about this, I am really um, excited about this new word. (laughs) More than a new word, it's a new treatment paradigm for partners or family or loved ones of those who suffer with addiction, whether it's sex addiction or drug addiction or any, any addiction. I think it would probably be applicable for family or loved ones or partners, even if someone who's struggling with them, you know, a serious mental illness or other life struggles. So protopenance um, <clears throat> came, as you know, uh, from a book that was written by Robert, Dr. Robert Weiss, and um, really just gives us a new way to look at treatment um, where we stop using some of the uh, codependent language that has been used in the past when treating um, spouses or partners or family members, kind of pathologizing them um, out of the chute, kind of letting, telling them that <clears throat> there's a reason why they are with this person or that there's something that they're sick too, or that, um, that they, there's, you know, there's something wrong with them or implying that there's something wrong in their history or something wrong with them that has caused them to be with this person and that maybe they love them too much or they help too much or, you know, they should distance themselves from that person. And prodependence takes a completely different stance it really more more validates the feeling of love for somebody who the, the love and the desire to help when there's somebody close to you that is pulling away and is engaging in self-destructive behaviors. It's a natural response. It's part of our need to attach and stay attached to the people we love to want to help. But sometimes we might help in ways that aren't always helpful <laughs> and, and we might love in ways that we need to adjust. Um, so it's really a strength-based attachment model for treatment. And I'm really excited about it. 
Well, and I'm glad you said that because you're right. This model or paradigm, as you called it earlier, um, comes from what type of attachment we all have with our loved ones. And there are, you know, there are many different types of attachment. They're primarily four. And what we know is that for too long, people that have loved an addict, but let's, let's talk about sex addicts and partners since that's what this show is about. You know, partners have been kind of vilified or pathologized and, and they're not understood. I mean, there's lots of people that go, why would somebody marry somebody who then cheats on them and they don't divorce immediately? They must be sick. There must be something really wrong with them. Maybe they attracted this kind of person into their life. And you and I both know that partners had absolutely no idea what was going on. You know, addicts are great at deceit anyway, but especially when it comes to relational betrayal. They didn't know what was going on, and when they find out, they have the right to decide if they're going to stay and work with with the addict and keep their family together. That is their right. What do you think? Absolutely. I agree 100, 100%. I feel like yeah, oftentimes when a partner, sometimes a partner may have some um, history that maybe they've grown up in a home where there was addiction or have trauma in their history. Well, that might be relevant to their story, of course. But when you first come in for treatment as a partner, it doesn't feel very good for someone to tell you, you know, since maybe, for example, your father was an alcoholic, um, this might be why you have chosen an addict. And try to make sense out of it that way. That is, it's hurtful at the very least. And um, I, I think harming to someone because whether or not they have a history of trauma, which by the way, not all partners do. Um, and sometimes that's a surprise to everyone. Sometimes their primary trauma is just being betrayed by their partner. That's caused such a rift in their life that they, that that's their primary trauma they come to treatment with. So Yes, they have a right to decide, but they need a safe place in which to do that. And they need the space and the, and the time to sort through the kind of the aftermath of what they're discovering or what they've learned or what they've gone through in the relationship. Absolutely. And you, you made a good point because truly, you know, you and I are both BSATs. We're certified sexual addiction therapists. And what we know is that a certain percentage of sex addicts have had trauma in their childhood that has fused with some sort of sexual fixation and has caused some of the sexual addiction that's in their history. But when it comes to partners, um, there is nothing that says a partner has any kind of trauma in her past. Now, what we know in general with the general population is that at least one out of every three females has experienced some sort of sexual, emotional, or physical abuse growing up. That's in the normal population. So there is going to be some of that amongst partners, but it is not a criteria for why a partner may have ended up with a sex addict. And therefore we don't want to, lump them automatically in that category 
And I was saying earlier before you came on the show, you and I both have um, marriage and family training, and we were taught that oftentimes people marry somebody um, so that they can work out their own personal family of origin issues. And although I do believe that to some degree, I know that I love my husband. I have only been married once. We've been married 18 years, but I think I did marry my mother, you know. And I have to look at my life and say, okay, now, what do I need to do here with my husband that perhaps I didn't do with my mother? And at the same time, I would never want anybody pathologizing me because I did that. So tell us a little bit about um, this community that you are helping to organize uh, to help people stop pathologizing any kind of person that loves an addict, especially calling them codependent or co-addicts. Yes, I would really like if that could happen all over the world, (laughs) if I had my dream. But I am part of a... Um, I'm working currently with Dr. Weiss on <clears throat> creating a clinical guide from a pro-dependent perspective this next year and um, putting that out. So maybe treatment providers, if they um, would like, would have some guide to follow. And I'm following up on his book, Pro-Dependence, Moving Beyond Codependency, um, and hopefully soon afterward, following up with a general guide for the general population, something that they could use on their own to help them begin that healing process. Also, we just really want to get the word out to clinicians everywhere and maybe help, maybe change the language, even the language um, in my, I work at Family Strategies Counseling Center in Arizona, Mesa, Arizona, And we have a large program there for sex addicts and partners, uh, two separate tracks for recovery. And we have our first partners groups who are just starting to use the pro-dependent perspective treatment. And immediately they feel validated, they feel heard, they feel understood. um, And their, their process of healing is happening in a more smooth way, it's happening quicker. At least that's what we're witnessing so far. And they feel, uh, they don't feel like they're blamed. They're being blamed. Or, or, or we're trying to work out, sort out, you know, what's going on maybe with the addict, their addicted loved one with their history. We're separating those and just trying to deal with the crisis. It's really a crisis management perspective. We're trying to deal with the crisis they come in with help to provide support, grounding tools, help, help them learn effective and useful boundaries. Um, and then down the road a bit, if they need or want to or if it's relevant to them, they can work on their own history of trauma if they need to. So it's a big task, but I think that it's resonating with a lot of the, the world, the, you know, the addiction world, both you know, the partners, even the addicts, and certainly the treatment providers. I think, I think it's going to be very helpful. Absolutely. And, you know, if I understand you correctly, you have already started uh, implementing 
what prodependence is, and you've taken out terms like codependency and co-addict, and because they are no longer being pathologized, they are already feeling more empowered to be who they want to be, and also to work through, as you called it, kind of this crisis state that partners are in when they first find out about the addiction, or they've known about the addiction, they thought their husband or wife was in recovery, and bam, they find out they really weren't in recovery at all. I mean, so much of this work is crisis stabilization. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And sometimes the Mm -hmm. partner just hasn't, they might have known about the addiction for some time even and been trying to manage the crisis on their own. Um, And some maybe just didn't know how. They just haven't known where to go, where to turn. Um, So, yeah, partners in all different at all different stages of their own healing process um, come. And definitely we're seeing, we're seeing very, we're just seeing a really good, um, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of healing, but a lot of stabilization sooner in that process. And I just, I just think it works. It's just working better for them. Well, I agree. And again, one of the things that I believe in, it's part of the APSAS model, which I work from, and we can all agree to work from different models. So it's not like we have to all have the same model, but we believe in a three-tier approach at APSAS. And that, of course, is the partner-sensitive trauma model. And that is where the first stage for a partner is to get them feeling safe and stabilized. It's to work through that crisis management and to not in any way pathologize them for their reactions. Their reactions are novel to what they're going through and to help them work through whatever it is they're feeling. And, and, and we also believe in providing some oh, tools that will actually help them to hopefully learn the truth if the addict is so willing. Once he has had some um, sobriety, then we do a formal disclosure and we help them find out what the truth is so they can decide how to proceed from there. And my experience is, and over 85% of all the cases I work with, if they get the truth, they want to stay. You know, what they want is the truth so that they can decide how they're going to proceed. And so they get the truth. They feel like, all right, I feel a certain amount of safety and then they move into grieving the loss, grieving what they thought they had, grieving the illusion of what they thought, grieving what they wanted. And after they get through that grief, that third stage is restoration of self or restoration of the coupleship. Um, but regardless, whether they stay with the addict or whether they um, leave, there is a certain sense of restoration that occurs within them. And prodependence says, hey, whatever they need to do to feel safe, to work through their issues, to grow stronger, and to set boundaries that's good for themselves, their family, and hopefully the addict, the one that they love the most. An amazing process when you no longer fear that somebody is going to call you codependent and tell you to get over on your side of the street and work on yourself and leave him or her alone. Um, so what do you think about that advice? So many of our, our partners have gotten, hey, just do your own work and stay 
stay working on you. Leave him or her alone. Well, I guess that advice would be good if we lived on a planet all by ourselves. But since we are here with each other, and I think um, from an attachment-based perspective, we're as healthy as our secure attachments. So telling somebody, just leave him or her alone, don't worry about them, do you, you know, detach with love, I think we're sending the wrong message, frankly. I think that may need to happen at some point, but that is rarely the case when someone first comes into treatment. They are hurting the person that they counted on the most and that their secure attachment is failing them. And what we might have called codependent behaviors in the past are their attempts to get safe. Their attempts to make, make sense out of a world that has just turned upside down. And they're grappling, they're holding on to whatever they can hold on to and make sense out of. So instead of saying, just let go and do you, why don't we say, of course you're hurting. Of course you're trying to hold on. This is your person. This is somebody you care about, you make to, you love. So why don't we, as a clinician, try and hold on to the parts of the relationship, help you maybe, guard and hold on to the parts of the relationship that you want to hold on to while you work through the damage, the parts of the relationship that are hurt and wounded. And at that point, when we get through all those steps that you mentioned earlier, we can make a grounded decision for yourself that will work for you moving forward. And that language works for most partners. They want to just know they're not crazy because even though this person's hurt them a lot, they still love them. They still want to help. They want, they're not ready to make a decision or they're not ready to lose that. And um, I find that paradigm and giving them permission and validating their desires to help, even calling them heroic at times, even if they don't work, allows them to take a step back and say, okay, what's healthy for me? What do I need to do right now? Because I've got some big things ahead of me and I got to know, you know, I got to, put fuel in my tank and figure out how to get through the next few miles in my relationship. So, yes, that's how I see it. Well, now you said you work with Dr. Rob Weiss, and I have had him on the show. I think the last time was he was going to be talking about his book, um, Out of the Doghouse for Christian Men, uh, and that was after, of course, Out of the Doghouse. Tell me a little bit about why you believe he wrote this book about pro-dependence, moving from codependency, and um, his own specific uh, personal life story. Well, I, I can't speak for Rob, but I really feel like this came from a, a, a place of many, many years. His own personal experience with his family, his mother specifically, that he's spoken about openly. Um and how to manage a difficult relationship and how to love and love in healthy, codependent ways, ways where I have appropriate boundaries, and I, but I still don't have to abandon the people I love necessarily. I just need to love them in a, in, in a healthy way. Um, and also, I think just years and years of working with couples and addicts and partners who, when they're told they're codependent, just and they're sick and there's something wrong with them and it's their fault too. And seeing the damage that that has caused over the years, I feel like he put words to what a lot of clinicians and partners 
have probably felt over many years, but gratefully, I think he put it in a way that um, made sense and gave us some new language, and, um, and I'm so grateful for that. Well, you know, in just the same way as now, instead of codependency, we're looking at prodependency, one of the things that we teach in our curriculum with partners is we talk about this really is an exciting time for us. I mean, clearly, the community at large, whether it's the clinical community or whether it's the community for addicts and and partners, are experiencing changes that we haven't seen for a while. For instance, you know, we really wanted the terminology sexual addiction to be accepted into the DSM-5, and it didn't get accepted, and they said there wasn't enough research, but what we knew at ITAP was that there was more than enough research to substantiate it, and yet change is slow, and we knew that, well, if it doesn't get in this time, maybe it'll get in next time. And then the World Health Organization said, yes, you know what? We're not going to call it sexual addiction, but we definitely know there's this thing called compulsive problematic sexual behavior. And we're going to give it a diagnostic code, which is then going to allow our families to be able to get treatment and maybe even get reimbursed for that treatment. And that was a big, huge change. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah, it was unfortunate that the diagnosis didn't go in the DSM-5, but yes, now that we have a diagnosis um, for compulsive or problematic sexual behavior with the World Health Organization, we can, it can be treated and reimbursed. And, and yes, I'm so grateful for that. And I feel like, too, for partners of sex addicts in this case, you know, there really hasn't been um, since codependence, there hasn't been much over the last 30 years that has come out. Um, Barbara Steffens, of course, in her groundbreaking work around trauma and coming from that perspective and understanding the trauma experience of a partner has been, has been so helpful. And I just think this takes it even a step further and, and really shifts some language, um, old language that, that hasn't been um, hasn't has been codependent based for far too long. Well, I know. And then you know, SASH, the uh, Sexual Advancement. For, I'm sorry, the uh, Society for Sexual Advancement and Health. They are now looking at instead of using the criteria for sex addiction to look at categories. You know, and they're saying behavior problematic to one's integrity to the safety of one's family, you know, and they're looking at how does it affect things and they're trying to take the label off. So we have that thing going on and now pro-dependence. And, and I got to tell you, one of the most exciting things is that Rob sent me his book and said, hey, I want you to um, take a look at this. And it was a week before Indianapolis had a sexual addiction and partner betrayal workshop. And so I'm reading the book, and one of my clients comes back from the, work, uh, the workshop. It was a three-day workshop. And she goes, oh, my gosh, I love pro And I said, well, this book just came out like two weeks ago. And she goes, 
oh, we were passing it around like crazy. And somebody brought like 30 copies and was selling them at, at the um, retreat. And I said, you know what? This is going to catch on because, again, people appreciate the fact that we're willing to stick it together and help family members, especially when they're struggling. And it was, for me, um, it, it emphasized what people have been looking for for so long. And so tell the community one more time what you hope to do with your work because you are obviously applying it clinically and you are asking clinicians to get on board and to look at at this terminology and what does that mean for addicts and their loved ones all over the world. So, so share one more time, what is it that you hope to accomplish? Well, I hope, I hope by the clinical work we will see, I'm, I'm actually um, hoping to do my dissertation, dissertation research on um, the effectiveness of codependent-based treatment um, for partners of sex addicts. Um, and so I'm hoping over time, um, here in the very near future, as I think we're already seeing, that clinicians and the, and the community at large will, will accept this new terminology and this new paradigm for treatment um, and that it will, it will maybe erase or at least update the old codependent perspective, um, the pathologizing perspective, and we will create a new safe language for partners and loved ones of addicts that will maybe encourage them to seek treatment sooner um, and from people who, and from clinicians who will treat them um, from that place, from a pro-dependent place, from a place that applauds their, uh, their desire to help and to, to assist those they love and to stay connected to those they love in healthy ways. That's what I guess I'm hoping for in the big picture. Hello? Well, we just had a little bit of technical difficulty. I do not know what's happened, but I am so glad that, again, Kim Buck has joined us so that we can continue to talk about what she hopes to accomplish in this new genre of understanding addiction and people that love addicts. So, Kim, I've got a couple more questions for you, and then we have to go. Can I ask you... If people want more information from you about prodependence, how can they get a hold of you? I think the easiest way to get a hold of me is to send me an email. Um, and you can email me at, with, at my name, Kim Buck uh, with 22, after my name, Kim Buck 22 at gmail.com. Um, just reference okay. prodependence and what the interest would be and the questions that you might have, and I'm happy to assist in any way. Well, and I'm just going to give our listening audience the skinny. I, you know, you know, I have a friend, Jake Porter, and he's your friend as well. And he said, hey, everybody, 
Uh, Kim Buck is doing a dissertation on prodependence, and if anybody wants to get on board with her, there's a call, and you can find out more about it, and I had missed the deadline, and I'm like, that's not good because I've just written an article, I've submitted it to a publication, I've changed our curriculum at AppSats, I've got to find out who this woman is. So I immediately (laughs) sent you something that said, I'm in. I want to join this community. What can I do to help? And that was, I think, yesterday morning, and I didn't hear anything from you on a Sunday, understandably. And then you, you sent an email back today, and I had had a cancellation for the show. And I'm like, hey, would you be willing to come on the show and talk about pro-dependence? Let's spread the word. And here you are, and we're really just getting to know each other, and I can tell there is more to come. We can collaborate, work together, and and really help addicts and partners all over the world. So I cannot thank you enough for being so spontaneous, dedicated, and passionate, and for, um, for joining our show tonight. Well, thank you, Carol. I'm so looking forward to being able to work with you and other clinicians who want to do the same, help create a safer environment of healing for partners of addicts and loved ones of addicts. And I think there's a lot yet to come. So I'm excited for the journey. Well, you and I both know that Barbara Steffens, who wrote My Sexually Addicted Spouse and started AppSats so that we could develop partner-sensitive training, she started all this because she did a dissertation on partner trauma. And, and 10 years later, she got the Carnes, well, nine years later, she got the Carnes Award. There are probably 500 clinicians and coaches, and partners are being seen differently all over the world. So I can't wait to see what you do with this. I'm on board with you. I'll help you any way I can. And will you promise to come back and share what your dissertation reveals? I would be happy to. Thank you, Carol. I don't think I'll probably be the first reveal, but I'd like to be one of them. So I look so <laughs> forward to working with you and and um, making a difference in the lives of anybody who loves an addict. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate your time. All right. No, I appreciate you. And have a good one. We'll talk soon. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yes, obviously, that's the woman with the passion. You know, I seem to get those people on the air all the time. Sometimes people say it's because I've got passion, too. And if you want to see my passion, you've got to go to my YouTube. It's where you see my puppy, Boo. I think you've heard me. I have people all over the world that leave me messages, and they'll say, Hey, Carol, I really loved your explanation of three circles that really helped me to get clear about what I needed. Oh, hey, Carol, please tell Boo. I said hello. And then they proceed to talk about my puppy. You know, I don't know what it is, but you all are the greatest people in the world. And I know that you've been in a hardship. You've been in a hard place. And you have worked hard to make your lives different. Whether you're an addict in good recovery. Doesn't matter if you struggle forever. If you're in good recovery, you know that you're 85% better than anybody out there. And if you're a partner that loves an addict, we know the pain and the shame that you have suffered. 
And so we just want you to know that this is a show that's going to support you no matter what. All right, I'm going to end for tonight, but what I have to say is what I always say at the end of every show. You know, there will only be one of you at all times. So I want you to fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. And we'll continue to advocate for you, and you continue to advocate for yourself. Get that book, Pro-Dependence, Moving Beyond Codependency. Give it a read. Spread the word. Let's change the language of how people view addiction. And hey, I got to tell you, I am a life coach and a psychotherapist, a mental health therapist of 36 years. And I say that words shape attitudes. So when we shape attitudes by changing how we speak about things, the things around us change. Be part of our change, would you? And we'll catch you next week for more Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Make it a great one. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.